How is everybody doing tonight? Good, good to see you guys tonight. Um, yeah, when Lynn was here uh, on Sunday and we were talking, we're going through this financial series. What, what I appreciate is that we can all get principles out of God's word and certainly tonight will be no different from that. What I do appreciate about what we do as a church is we try to push people where their expertise lies and combine that with how do I do that as a believer in Christ? In other words, if I'm going to listen to principles on leadership, who do I want to sit under? A leader. If I'm going to go have my taxes done, you can love Jesus and you can, you know, and preach the word of God, but you need to know what? You got to know how to do my taxes. We can fellowship together. We can pray together. But if you, if you, if you get the IRS on my back. So, so what I want to focus on tonight, guys, is, is this is wherever God has brought you to this point pertaining to what skill sets do I have? What talents do I have? Why am I doing what I'm doing? I want us to do, to, to, to live in that world because sometimes I think we come to church and sometimes I think we hear Lynn or, or hear Bill or hear some other great people. Sometimes I think we see people up here singing and, and, and we think that, well, that's it. That's what the Christian life's all about. And because I'm not doing that, then my job is to come and sit and, and to learn and maybe engage a little bit, but, but that's about it. Like church is up here. I think a lot of, a lot of us are mistaken. And, and yet I don't fault you because I think as a church, we, we sometimes promote that. That this is where church happens up on this stage or maybe even in one of the small church classes. And what I want to, I guess, drive us toward tonight is I think the reason God has you where he has you and what he's done with you so far is to glorify him and promote him. But I just wonder if he picked you because no one else could do it the way you do it. So this, this degree I have and this expertise I have and this, this knowledge I have, God, are you saying that when I, um, become a Christian, when I, uh, become a, a, when I join the mission field for you out in, out in the secular world, do I have to just put that aside? And gosh, I hope that when we come here on evenings like tonight, I hope you never hear that message that, that, well, that's all fine. And, and maybe that pays the bills or, but this is where it's really happening. Because what we're going to see tonight is I don't know if Paul can have the conversation he's going to have without some some knowledge about some non-biblical type stuff. Did you know that there's nowhere in the Bible that tells you how to properly change a water pump out of a car? So guys, you can be the most spiritual person in the world, but when my, when my heat meter goes up in my car and, and pegs, I need someone that knows how to change a water pump. And so, so whatever, wherever you're at right now, whether you are a student, whether you're a homemaker, whether you're in the, in the business world, whether you're a teacher or a nurse or doctor, or whether you're an engineer or manager, do you ever just stop and thank God that you are that thing, that you play that role? God, thank you so much that, that I manage people at Wells Fargo. 
God, thank you so much that I own a, a pizza hut. Because guys, I think sometimes the message up here is when you're doing those things, you're not terribly spiritual. And I'm going to argue the different tonight. I'm going to take the other side of that. That says, you're not a manager who's a Christian. You're a Christian who's a manager. Okay, and there's a big, big difference there. But if I can see myself as I'm a Christian and I happen to teach, then God, can you use my skills in teaching to glorify you, right? Does that make sense? God, I'm a Christian, but I'm an electrical engineer. And I work at Intel or Honeywell or Motorola. Can you use my my just fantastic brain with numbers and, and circuits? And can you use that somehow to get the message out about you and your son? See, guys, when we, when we frame the conversation like that, then whatever I'm doing in life has a purpose. I don't have to, I don't have to wait to go on a mission trip to feel like I'm being used by God. I don't have to wait till I'm, till I'm, I'm, you know, up here and then I feel like, man, God, thank you. Now I feel like I'm being used by you. Because the reality is, right, how many of us are going to get up here and do what Lynn does? How many of us are going to get up here and, and sing you know, as beautiful as what we heard tonight. I mean, not many of us. In fact, some of us, I think, shouldn't be up here when we're up here. Right? Um, so keep that in mind. God, where am I at right now? What, why am I doing what I'm doing? And again, as long as it's not something immoral or illegal, I want to trust that God's going to use you. And he's going to give you that platform that maybe no one else can have. Because I don't have that expertise, I'm not around the, that circle, you are, and so make good on it, okay? We're going to see Paul do that tonight. Take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. Paul is right in the middle of his second missionary journey. He finished his first one, and he says to his buddies, it's time to get up and go. And so in Acts 17, they've started that journey. In fact, uh, let's see. I think I did this the other day. Let's see if this works too. Just to give you, um, this always helps me when I can find well, where, where are we in the world and what are we talking about? Do we, can we throw that up? Do we have access to, Dylan, do we have any access to the iPad? I just want to give them a map up here. Okay. Is that even coming up? Is that, is that blue? Wow, it is blue. Did it come out? Okay, good. Okay. So here we are in Acts 17. And just to give us all a frame of reference by way of where are we, um, Paul is going to start in Thessalonica and then he's going to work his way to uh, Berea and then to Athens. And so if you see here on the map, see if I can blow this up. Somewhere like that, okay? Good, okay. So that's kind of where we're at in, this, in the journey. And again, this is his second journey. Um, look at, here, look at chapter 15, starting in verse 36. And I, and I want to bring this to our attention tonight, I guess, because we had mentioned a few weeks ago, hey, when God tells you to do something, do it. 
And so God said uh, in what, 13, set apart for me, right? Paul and Barnabas. And so that's what, that's what happened. And that sent them on their first journey. Sometimes I think though, we think that unless God does that to me, I can't move or act or according to what he wants me to do. But look at, if you look at um, uh, chapter 15, starting in 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of God and see how they are. Now you tell me, where in that verse, as they, as they, this really starts their second journey, out of three, where in that verse do you see something like, and Paul said to Barnabas, I just, I feel like I'm being led to do this. I, I feel like I'm being, uh, you know, where do we see in this verse? And God said to Paul to tell Barnabas. I find that interesting. Often when we, when we say, well, God told me to go or God's leading me to go, we point to Acts 13. Well, God did it to Paul. And yet here he is and is starting his second missionary journey. And it just sounds like he's, he's, he's using good wisdom here. Hey, we started these churches. We got a bunch of these baby Christians popping up. They don't know, you know, left from right. So why don't we go back and visit them? Doesn't that sound like a good idea? Does that sound hyper spiritual? Or is that just kind of like, hey, why wouldn't you do that? So don't discount guys common sense is what I'm saying. Okay, that's how this second journey gets started is Paul turns to his friend and says, Hey, we should probably go visit these guys. Uh, I'm not a genius here, but I'm kind of figuring they've been tracking now for a little while and they probably have some questions and, and it would be helpful if we stopped by and just kind of did a, a back around and, and just visited these places that we've shared the gospel in. Of course, uh, and I'm not going to go over what was said the past couple of weeks. They had a disagreement uh, and so they split ways and Paul then takes Silas and Barnabas takes John Mark. And they kind of go their ways. And God's going to use that. Now, hopefully, uh, over the past couple of weeks, you heard about that. So now we arrive to Acts 17. And Paul now is in Thessalonica, top left there. And when they had traveled through Amph- Amphipolis, I tried all week to get that right. Amphipolis. Can you help me? Amph- Amphipolis? Man. And Apollonia. I tried all week, guys. I'm so sorry. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, verse 5, became jealous. And taking some along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some of the brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. 
Let's go back to, that's, that's the first section, then we'll get to the second section in a moment. Let's go back to um, verse 1 and 2 here. Notice the words that's being used. Good. Notice the words that are being used here. When they had traveled, I'm going to try it again. Ampaf, golly. Ampaf, uh, okay. And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where the synagogue of Jews. Listen to what Paul did here. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them. And for three Sabbaths, he did a couple of things. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He explained to them and gave evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. He reasoned, he explained, he presented evidence. And when, when we have the words there that he reasoned with them, it, it was much like this. Uh, he wasn't preaching, he wasn't heralding to them a message, but rather he was reasoning with them. And with reason comes dialogue. And when we dialogue, we have questions and we have answers and we have discussions, much like we have in here. And so you get this idea that Paul was spending weeks, at least three, obviously, but probably more. And he was presenting to them, it sounds like, he was giving them evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this is Jesus whom I'm proclaiming is the Christ. Now, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Well, what scriptures was he using to reason with them? Would you guess? Old Testament. Well, that's interesting. Do you think you could reason with someone about the Jesus that you and I know today from the Old Testament? It pains me, guys, when I hear people say, and honestly, I wonder if we did uh, an account, if we took a, an account of the churches here in the valley, and we said, okay, from now, whatever, March 4th, or March 3rd, 2015, back to March 3rd, 2014, up on stage on a Sunday morning, how many times, how many series, how many messages did you do in the Old Testament? What do you think? It's pretty amazing that we spend a lot of time over here, isn't it? And I'm not saying that there isn't value to spending time in the new covenant. I get that. But I feel like we're kind of lopsided. And Paul here, what I think when we see this, we think, oh yeah, he was sharing Jesus with him and how he rose, probably used 1 Corinthians 15 and, you know, and talked about the resurrection and he didn't have that. He was reasoning with them from the Old Testament. Why? Well, because that's what they were familiar with. And because Jesus had died not too long ago. This is, again, the guys, this is a book of transition. This is a new thing. So how do you reason with someone from the Old Testament about Jesus? I provided some, some passages up here, and I didn't generate these. These were generated for, from someone, but, but I, they're, they're accurate. And look at these things that you can talk to someone about from the Old Testament about Jesus himself. He would be born of a virgin. That's in Isaiah and in Matthew. I'll just focus on the Old Testament. He would be from the tribe of Judah. He would be the King, uh, King David's seed. He would be born in Bethlehem. And as Paul is reasoning with these people, he's going through prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. 
And he's showing them as we kind of work through these prophecies, I want to alert you to the fact that there was someone that lived pretty recently that's fulfilling all of these. I hope you see that. I hope you're tracking with me here. Yeah, but what about this? And well, how come he didn't? And so Paul just keeps reasoning with them. And then when they get done, not everyone's satisfied. So what does he say? I'll come back next week. And guys, what I love about that, where he says he reasoned with them for three Sabbaths is he, you get to feel like this guy's not afraid. Sometimes I feel like when we're, when we're talking to people about God, our, our mentality honestly is, God, if you could just get me in and out of this conversation in 10 minutes, I will forever praise you. But what if God were to say to you, I'll get you in and out in 10 minutes, and then I want you to come back next week and continue the dialogue. And our fear is, but God, if you allow, if you allow the person to get away and actually study what I'm telling them, they may come back and challenge me with more stuff. And God's saying, yeah, they might. Wouldn't that be a great conversation if they actually came back and knew a little bit more than they did the week before? Because guys, what's the point? The point is, hey, maybe Christian, you should go study a little more so that you have something to tell these people. Sometimes I think we look at people like Paul and we think, well, of course he did that. He's the expert. See, that's not how dialogue works, guys. That's not how reasoning with people works. Reasoning is a crapshoot. You don't know what's going to be said. You have no idea what, what rabbit trail someone wants to go down. And sometimes I think we read the scriptures, especially the book of Acts, and we think Paul just nailed it every time. He just got it right every time. But I have to think in his humanness, Paul went away from some of these meetings thinking, man, these guys have some good questions. God, I... I, I Am I saying this right? Am I doing this right? We're going to get to a part of his life in the, when, he, when he meets up with the people of Athens. Sometimes, guys, you can say all the right things and hit all the right marks and you're not going to move someone off center anymore if you said just a few things. Here, he happens to, you'll look down in verse uh, 4, and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude. He had a home run here. So praise God for that. But that's because, guys, Paul knew this stuff up here. And as I tell my students most days, this isn't magic. This is somebody saying, I'm saying no to this opportunity because I want to do this. Um, I recently had a conversation with my kids, pretty come to Jesus meeting about academics and whatnot. And I just said, basically, listen, I've got 24 hours and you've got 24 hours. So let's, let's not play this game of, well, well you, you should know that, Dad, or, you know, you, you've got 24 hours. What are you choosing to do with that time? Paul chose, obviously, not just after he became a believer, but even before that, he chose to study the Torah, to study the law. Now, his reasons may have been impure. His reasons may have been selfish. But notice what God does with that. He didn't drop his academia when he became a believer. But rather, he used it now for his glory. And he's reasoning with them to the degree where a great multitude, it says, of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women followed him, became believers. 
Praise God for that. It's interesting that as he's reasoning with them about this, presenting to them Old Testament prophecies, the fulfillment of them, he doesn't lose sight of, if you will, current events. And the most current event he could talk about is in verse 3. Explaining and giving evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Do you... Do you talk to people about the resurrection? Do you talk to people about the fact that we have a risen Savior? What I I love about these first three verses here, guys, is how much focus is on Paul? We're focusing on him. But how much focus truly is on him from his perspective? What is he reasoning them about? What's the topic? It's the topic of Christ. It's not his pedigree, it's not his expertise, it's not his resume, it's not, his, it's not even his missionary journey. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul and Peter alike, while they could just spin tales up here and, and tell fantastic stories of where they've been and what they've been doing, and, and certainly we see that in some of Paul's letters, but those are letters to believers, Those are letters to people who already have come to the cross. But he has a mission, man, and he just wants to talk about the mission. And he does it in a way that seemingly isn't terribly offensive. And if it is offensive, it's only because he's out-reasoned you. Not because he's used some offensive language, but rather he's put you in a corner intellectually, and now you're offended by that. And certainly we see in verse 5... Not everyone's a big fan of what we call the gospel, but some of the leading, but some of the Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Isn't it interesting? Do you notice the word here in verse five? But some of the Jews becoming what? What? What are they jealous of? Would you guess? Ah, we're minus mics tonight. So just shout it out. What are they jealous of? Yeah, look at look at verse four. And some of the and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude. See, guys, their market share now has shrunk. Right, and so here is the new kid on the block, and religiously he's taking a piece of our action. And it pains me that they couldn't just be okay with that. But rather their jealousy motivates them to more evil. I wonder sometimes, what are we jealous of? In the kingdom, I mean. Are you jealous that that somebody's up here and you're not? Are you jealous that somebody is is helping with the youth and you're not? Are you jealous that... When you hear stories about people getting one to Christ or getting baptized and you weren't a part of that, are you jealous? Do you feel like, do you feel like someone's stealing a little bit of what, what you think is yours? These guys were jealous in every which way and they formed a mob because of that. To the degree where I think some people, some people actually believe that in, in Romans 16, 
Jason was actually a relative of Paul, possible relative of his. So they go to his relative's house because that's where he thinks he's hanging out. Now Jason's involved in the mix. They drag him out with some of his friends. And look at verse 9. When they had received a pledge from Jason and others, they released them. This pledge most likely was that Jason and his friends had to put up money. They had to financially guarantee that Paul and Silas would never come back. These authorities, because of the jealousy of the Jews, drug Jason and his friends out of their home and put them in front of the magistrates and said, where are they? And Jason said, we don't know. And they said, well, you hang out with these guys. So here's the deal, because you're a local, we're fining you. We're putting up a financial pledge here that these two yahoos are going to leave and never return. And if they return, you lose everything financially. And again, I don't want to get into necessarily should Jason have done it, should he not, and situational ethics here. He did it. But isn't that amazing that because of the Jews' evil, because of their jealousy, other people now get drug into the conversation. Here's what I find amazing, and, and three things I just want to, on verses one through nine. Number one, let's not confuse this issue, guys, because some of us see verses five through nine, and, and we settle on the fact that, Greg, that's why I don't want to do verses one through four, because of five through nine. I appreciate the fact that you, you know, the church here, you know, kind of encourages me. The the word of God encourages me to get out and share my faith. But you know as well as I do, five through nine's coming. And it's coming, people. And so sometimes I think, uh, we have that up there. Guys, honestly, sometimes I think we think that this is reality. Sometimes I think that that we think that the, 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 the battle between Jesus and Satan is is 50-50. And we wake up sometimes, we think, Jesus, I hope you got a good night's sleep tonight because Satan's on a tear. Man, he's after us today. And Jesus, we so need your help right now because kind of feel like you're losing the battle here. And while this makes for a good image, guys, it is so far from biblical, I don't know what would be further. That somehow Jesus has to, has to, has to, to, to war with Satan in such a way that, that Satan wants you to think that he could actually win. And so we kind of, you know, get on our knees and like we're rooting for Jesus today. Guys, that is just, it's a tragedy. Because that's not who Jesus is. Satan wants you to believe that. Um, go to Revelation 20 real quick. Really fast here. Go to Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20. Um, look at verse 1. This is the end of Satan's reign. I saw an angel. It says in verse 20, chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Having the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who's the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. 
I think I mentioned this maybe a, long, a while ago when we talked about heaven and hell and whatnot. Why do I love that passage? Because who bound Satan for a thousand years? An angel. What was his name? No, what was the angel's name? We don't know. Nameless. Okay, we need to... It's Tuesday night. Let's have our staff meeting. What's going on, God? Well, here's the deal. Uh, I got a lot of things going on tomorrow. Satan's got to be bound tomorrow. Who, who's free? This angel's free over here. He's not busy? Okay, give him the keys to the abyss. Have him go down there with a great chain. Just bind Satan up for a thousand years. I'm working on some other stuff here. Guys, if this is reality... Don't you think that Revelation 20 verses 1 and 2 would look a whole lot different? Don't you think that it would start with, and God called all of the angels together, and the, the host of armies gathered, and God said, pray for me because I got a big battle coming up tomorrow. I'm going up against him. And a hush fell over the, the crowd. Ooh. And God said, man, I really need some strength here. So I'm going to get some sleep. Don't wake me. Don't bother me. Because if I don't have my energy, this could go south on us very quick. But we don't see that. Here, give, give the keys to this guy. I don't, this one, God? Yeah, I don't, whatever. Pick one. I don't care. Whatever. Pick one. You, you don't want Gabriel? Do you want Michael? Just pick one. Well, what do you want me to do? Just open up the key to the abyss. Find Satan. Satan? Yeah, find him. Am I, is someone not hearing me? Go bind him and throw him in. And then lock the door. And come back. Because I got other things for you to do. I need that done by 9.30. Okay? So let's wrap this thing up here. Guys... I want to show you, I want to show you a couple things here. Um, I want to show you two real quick videos if I can, okay? Took a couple minutes long each. Two different ways to see Jesus, okay? Here's the first one. He was born on Christmas Day. Yeah, he's probably a guy who was quite groovy like Gandhi many, many years ago and did some carpentry and was probably quite a nice bloke. Did you sound up here, Gishfunnel? I think that uh, he's a man with uh, long hair and, uh, <laughs> and uh, he's got some. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I've never, like, seen him or anything like this, and I don't really believe in him. I think Jesus is... Fictionary. I think Jesus is probably a guy that's made up to try and keep people in line. To be honest, he's part of the biggest con ever to be associated with mankind. I think that Jesus is like something that people have in their imagination and that they use to kind of comfort themselves in sort of difficult situations, maybe. I think a person called Jesus existed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's a little bit crazy. He's important. Yeah. But that's for cool. young people like us, uh, yes. I don't know. He's important because Jesus. No. <laughs> like, my best friend, for her, like, kind of Jesus is a big factor in her life and, like, her making decisions. So it's like so many different religions, you don't really know what to believe, and nothing's wrong, but it's like, is Jesus real? Because there's so many different things you can believe in. Who is Jesus? Uh... Who is Jesus? Um, it's a con. 
What do we hear? Is crazy? I was born on Christmas Day. He's got a beard. Um, what that one girl say? He's important, but to people in our generation and, and her boyfriend, you know, laughed and said no. See, guys, when your view of Jesus Christ is like that, then yeah, that picture of him battling Satan, that makes sense then. Here's another possible view of Jesus. Maybe this is Jesus. My king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a well-trained of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love that. I love that video because, because 
I tell my students this too, guys. They both could be wrong, right? Both sides could be wrong, but they both can't be right if they're talking about the same person. Somebody's got to be wrong here. And I just wonder if Dr. Lockridge, who made that video, who, who, who made that sermon, I wonder if he was walking the streets of London and interfaced with some of those people. I wonder what that conversation would look like. He's sharing all those truths about Jesus, which are founded in the word of God. And over here, people are saying, well, he's a con. He's a fake. He's he was born on Christmas Day. I wonder how that conversation would go, because I don't think it would go a lot like we would want it to go, which is, oh, well, I appreciate your opinion. And everyone's got the right to have their opinion. You think he would settle for that? He would be sharing Jesus with them left and right. And guys, that's our goal. Our goal is to share Jesus with people. But okay, get to the bottom here, Greg. Okay, here's the bottom. The reason Paul could share Jesus with these people and a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks and, and prominent women came to know the Lord that day was because Paul knew enough to reason. He had enough in his, in his, in his, in his, his quiver to reason with them. Do you have enough in your quiver, whatever your skill set is, whatever your expertise is, in addition to knowledge of the scriptures to reason with people? See, guys, your job gets you into the conversation is what I'm saying. Your skill set and expertise gets you into the conversation. If you're a pro athlete, I don't have an audience with pro athletes, but you do. If you're an engineer, your, your audience are engineers. If you're, if you're, you know, a soccer mom, your audience is soccer moms. Why? Because there's, 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 you can relate and you can reason. But guys, our occupations and our roles and our skill sets and gifts, all that is, is to get us into the conversation. Once you're in the conversation, what are you saying then about Jesus? Could you tell someone about Jesus with nothing on you? Do you know enough Bible to tell someone about Jesus without using John 3, 16? Well, you had me. I was going with you, Greg. Now I have nowhere to go. You know, in the book of Romans, you could share Jesus with someone and not even leave the book. Romans 3, 23 says what? Does anyone know that? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did you know, friend, fellow bank accountant, fellow tax person, fellow doctor, did you know that the Greek there for the word all is all? You and me, we're all sinners. We've fallen short of God's glory. Did you know later on in that book, in the book of Romans, Paul says in Romans 6, 23, the payment for that sin, the wages of sin is death. Did you know, friend, that one chapter prior to that in Romans 5, God knew that we were headed down this path, you, me, the rest of the world. And so he demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you know, friend, that in Romans chapter 8, Paul then wraps it up by saying, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation found in him. I wonder, do you know, do you want to know my king? See, guys, you don't have to be a scholar to do that. You need to be the best engineer you can be. You need to be the best manager you can be. You need to be the best dad or mom you can be. That's what you need to be. That gets you into the conversation. But I wonder, once you're in the conversation, do you feel good enough? Could you reason for three weeks with people? Um... Can you throw the PowerPoint back up there, Dylan? 
We got that? Maybe? Okay. Yeah? There we go. How about this? Okay, Bible quiz. Here we go. What two men in the Bible never died? Enoch and... Good, Elijah. Look at that, Bible scholars. What was created on the first day? What? Light. I was going to say that, Greg. Okay, well, whatever. What's the fourth commandment? Let me ask you this. Where do you find that? What book? Good, thank you. Save the group. What's the fourth commandment? Somebody said it. Boom. How are you doing? So you're over four? How are you doing so far? You over three? You tracking here? What was the first plague on the Egyptians? Nope. Good. Water to blood. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Whatever. 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 I just sleep at night. Without faith, it's impossible to do. Oops. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> One for six. I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. Look at that, man. Somebody's been studying Philippians. Nice job. This book talks about Deborah. Deborah. Nope. <laughs> Don't ever say that. So if we turn to the book of Deborah. Which one? Judges. Good. Um, who was married to Jacob? Lots of people, but yeah, Rachel probably. Well, who was her sister? Good, Leah. Nice. Okay. Seek these, seek first these two things and the rest will be added unto you. Come on, you 70s people. Seek ye first the... Good, kingdom of God and his righteousness. Okay, again, I asked you, I think, 10 questions there. Listen, you're not going to heaven or hell because you got some of those right or wrong. But guys, honestly, right? When, when I get past the, yeah, we're both in the same profession and yeah, we both know a lot about whatever it is that's not biblical. What am I saying then when the conversation does turn to, do you know my king? Because guys, they're going to have questions. Not many of us get to do what Lynn does, which is, is one way. Let me tell you about Jesus. And guys, I did it for a number of years as well. And so there is, there is, there, there's risk in this, but there's a lot of comfort in it. Why? Because you're not talking back. <laughs> this, this, this is risky, but even this isn't risky. Why? Because we all, you know, Jesus. This looks a whole lot different if half of you don't know Jesus and you don't want to know Jesus. Now we're really reasoning. And guys, let me just say this, okay? Paul knows this uh, better than probably any of us, but you don't, you, don't, you don't debate someone into heaven. So I don't want you to think that, well, as long as I know these facts, someone's going to come to know Jesus. What this does is, guys, it simply gives you a platform. One, to, 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 to confirm the fact that Christians aren't ignorant. We're not, we don't have our heads stuck in the sand. 
We're trying to make sense of this world like everyone else is trying to make sense of this world. The best thing we have is the person who can make sense of this world, Jesus Christ. This person who lived 2,000 years ago, and I'd love to tell you about him. Okay? Your sharing the gospel, guys, can be so much more than just your testimony. But do you know that? The things that, if you got those answers, some of them right, they never, those answers never change. Nothing in this book has changed for 2,000 years. The order, the words, they're the same. And your kids will have the same Bible, and their kids will have the same Bible, and so on and so on. So why not start learning the Bible? And that's why we're here, right? Look what happened to these, to these evil Jews who, who made Jason say, I will pay you money to declare and confirm that Paul and Silas will never come back. Turn over to 1 Thessalonians. Lest you think, 1 Thessalonians, go to the right a little bit. Lest you think that, well, that was, that was three to five weeks worth of just, you know, he reasoned and a great multitude came to know um, God and then, then they just kind of petered away. Why? Because Paul left. The star left. The superstar had to get, you know, Lynn left and he couldn't come back and he was barred from this church. Would this church still go on without the main person? Look at First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, pick it up in verse 3. I love this. Paul says in verse 2, We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Listen to this. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. See, Paul has the same kind of conviction, guys, that Dr. Lockridge has. He's saying that the more I read and the more I study and the more I experience God, I can't keep him to just, well, that's your opinion. He's just a good guy born on Christmas Day. I've got to challenge that. I've got to challenge you, co-worker, neighbor, family member, when you say things like that about Jesus, because those things, he didn't come to earth for those things. And half of what you're saying isn't even true. But this is the Jesus I need to share with you. And they adopted his conviction. Holy Spirit, with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among your sake. Watch this, verse 6. You also became imitators of us and the, Holy, uh, and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit, that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acacia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Acacia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. He says, for they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Do you see what's going on here? Paul reasons with people. Why? Because he can. The reason I can change a water pump is because I can. And I'm good at it. 
And while I was doing that one day for my neighbor's car because he, he leaned on me to do it and help him out, now I'm sharing the gospel with him. See, guys, if I stink at changing a water pump, my neighbor comes to ask me for help, I may want to share the gospel with him, but he's pretty ticked right now because I just broke his car. And now I've got another hurdle to get over to share the gospel. Be excellent in what you do. Paul was excellent in reasoning and debating and explaining. He did his homework. He didn't just wake up with all this knowledge. I got to think there were many times where Paul could have been doing something else, laying on some rock watching TV, and he chose not to. Be excellent at what you're doing. Why? Because you're a Christian who is a whatever, fill in the blank. And because you're this whatever, God may just use you in the next day or two or month or year. And when Paul took God up on his opportunity at Thessalonica, God said, I'm going to blow this place up. And guess what, Paul? I'm not even going to use you for a lot of it. You're going to kickstart this thing. Then you're going to get banned. And I'm still going to grow this thing. So while you have the opportunity, be, a, be an excellent role model for these baby, new baby believers. And that's what he did. That's what they did. And they became imitators of that. So much so that the word of faith sounded forth from them, not only in Acacia, Macedonia, but all over, everywhere they went. See, guys, Satan really does think it's a battle between him and Jesus. You know, mano y mano, whoever wins. And Jesus says, you, don't, you, you have no idea. I control you. I manage you. And what Satan wants you to believe tonight is, no, no, that's not true. And I'm just wondering, who's your Jesus? If you really believe Jesus is some guy in a beard that, you know, came a couple thousand years ago, then yeah, you will believe that it's Satan versus Jesus. But if you believe what Dr. Lockridge expressed, and Jesus is the King of Kings, he is the Lord of Lords, he is incomprehensible, then you get it you get that this message we're proclaiming is second to none. Are you taking advantage of it? The Jews didn't want it to happen and they couldn't stop it. So what happens? Paul goes down then to Berea. I love this too. Um, go back to Acts chapter 17. Paul gets kicked out. He says, I'm going to keep going. And immediately the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night. To Berea, about 45 miles away. So, so I think I had my map. You know, I'm going to keep it here, actually. Uh, the map, if you go southwest about 45 miles, you run into Berea from Thessalonica. Okay, watch this. Now, there were, now, and then he goes into the synagogue, verse 10. Now, these were more noble-minded than, than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I love that guy. See, Paul wasn't, he wasn't scared of that. Sometimes I think we get nervous about that. I said something, God, to my coworker the other day. I said something to my neighbor the other day. Are they really going to follow? Are they going to fact check me here? Because that's what the Bereans were good at. Now, guys, again, do it with grace, right? Don't, 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 don't do it with, you know, we, we don't need to send Lynn nasty grams because he misspelled something or misspoke on something. You fact check with grace, but I love the fact that these Bereans, that's what they were about. Listen to this. For they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Paul said something. He reasoned with them. He showed them the scriptures and they examined it. They feasted on it. 
Man, that's just what you're saying, Paul, sounds great. Can we have some? Because we want to check that. Do, do, do you drive home from church with that mentality? When, when Lynn says, you know, hey, I encourage you, read, you know, Mark chapter 8, or do you actually go home and read it? My students all the time, all the time. What do you think? They call me Tom. Tom, what do you, what, Tom, what do you think? I'm not telling you. I'm just not telling you. You're paid to tell us. Because, because I have juniors and seniors. I teach at Valley Christian High School. I got juniors and seniors. And what do I hear? I hear, well, the 10th grade Bible teacher said this. Well, that's what the 9th grade Bible teacher believes. And I say to them often, I find it amazing that you can remember what they believe, but you don't know what you believe. So stop worrying about what they believe. And start wondering, what do I believe? Well, that's not what Lynn believes. Who cares what Lynn believes when it's all said and done? Now, I say that with all kinds of reverence and respect. Why isn't Greg teaching the mind anymore? <laughs> Honestly, guys, what I do up here, what Lynn does, um, th- this is our craft, right? We went to school for this. This is what we do. You went to school for your thing. Whatever, you, know, you, went, you, you got an apprenticeship for your thing. But, but you're, not the, you know, you're not the end all. Lynn's not the end all. I'm not the end all, Right? It's between you and the word of God and God's word is available to each one of us for individual study. So Paul, so Paul says, bring it on. You check, fact check me here. Many of them then believed along with a number of prominent Greek men and women. But when the Jews, listen to this, but when the Jews of Thessalonica found out the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul and Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Can you imagine How jealous do you need to be to go 45 miles out of your way because you heard that he's doing the same thing in Berea that he did in Thessalonica? And you thought you put the fire out in Thessalonica. Now you've got to travel 45 miles in the first century just to stir up problems again. How mad are you at the gospel? Guys, you will run into problems. You will run into offenses. This is not an easy road. The Christian life is very, very difficult. Um, and, and let me just say this, by the way, too, guys. The reason that the Jews traveled from Thessalonica to, to Berea was for two reasons. One, um, did you know that Satan has missionaries? Look, go, to, um, go to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, let's go to verse 13. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13, Paul's talking about false teachers here. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in 13, he says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according 
to their deeds. Just as God has missionaries, Satan positions people like these Jews in Thessalonica. Go bother them in Berea. Here they go. What's Paul doing? He's screwing everything up. He's going to ruin your city. Blah, blah, blah. I told my students this the other day. Um, guys like Paul, do you know why they're being bothered by these jealous Jews? Do you know why he's on Satan's radar? Because he's making a difference. See, sometimes, and, 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 and I don't want to sound crass here, guys, but sometimes I think that, you know, it's a battle for me and Satan. But let me just tell you this. If you're not making an impact for the kingdom of God, I'm not terribly sure you're on Satan's radar. As gentle as I can say that. I don't think Satan's really worried. If you're not making an impact for the kingdom, I'm not sure Satan wakes up thinking, well, I got to watch out for her today. She's going to sit on the couch again. <laughs> I got to make sure she doesn't move off the couch. You know, I don't think he does that. I think he's looking at you thinking, you're not, what, why do I, wh- I'm not worrying about you. What have you done lately for your king? I got, th- I got these people to worry about. This guy over here, he's killing me, man. He's sharing faith, he's sharing faith with everyone. This lady over here, she's running up a storm for the kingdom. I, they're on my radar. They're the ones that are going to get the fiery darts. They're the ones that are going to get the flaming arrows. Why? Because I need to take them out of the, of the, of, of the equation. You? <laughs> I, I mean, well, well, you know, maybe I'll throw a minion on you or something, you know, and you know, trip you up a little bit. But uh, let's just be honest, right? Between me and you, like, yeah, I don't have to put too much energy into that. But these people over here, man, these, these cornerstone people, right? I got I to gotta get up early to, to get on them. Why? Because they're up early. They're up early praying for their kids. They're up early studying the scriptures. They're up early wondering, is today the day when my coworker finally will accept my invitation to come on friend day? They're, 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 they're here on Tuesday nights laboring over God's word, fellowshipping. They're, 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 they're going to go home and actually read the Bible. Yeah, I'm not worried about you over here. I got to worry about those people. Those are the people that are going to make a difference in their lifetime. And I need to trip them up as much as possible. So here go my missionaries. I'm sending out some false teachers. I'm sending out some people that are going to get in their way. I'm going to send out some temptation their way. Don't you think, guys, when Paul is reasoning with these Bereans and he's finally enjoying like, man, I'm just like they're reasoning, we're dialoguing. And then here they come, right? He can see them out of the corner of his eye. You've got to be kidding me. Here they come. That's what, the, that's what the scriptures tell us in Acts 17. And immediately, the brethren in 14 sent Paul out as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained there. So again, if I can just, uh, if you got this up here, there we go, okay? So he's in Thessalonica. Berea is, just go like to the top of the loop up there. That's Berea. And then they say, Paul, get in a boat, go. So now he's hustling down out in the middle of the sea somewhere and he's going to end up and we'll pick this up next week. He's going to end up right here in Athens. Okay. Guys, he's on an adventure. But the reason he's on an adventure and we'll, we'll even showcase this next week. He's got a lot of tools in his toolkit. 
I think you do too. I, I really do. I think you have a lot of tools in your tool chest. I just wonder if you've accessed them. Are you a middle manager who's a Christian? Are you a nurse who's a Christian? Are you a student who's a Christian? Or are you a Christian who's a student right now? Are you a Christian who's in the field of nursing? It's a big difference on how we look at that. I'm expecting because of something like when we look at Paul's life here in Acts 17, guys, I go into these messages expecting that this week then something happens to some of us. Now, this isn't theory. So I expect that in your circles of influence, you're going to be the best at what you do so that if and when those conversations come about, you're ready. The part we're trying to shore up, I think, what I can't help you with is engineering or physics or, you know, poetry. I can't help you with that. I really wish I could. I could fake it. So what I want to help you with is when I get into that conversation then, when it's on the line, do I have some tools in my toolkit to get in and out of that conversation about the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why we're here, right? Okay, we'll pray. Jesus, thanks for tonight. God, I know sitting in this room are just qualified people, run circles around me in areas of life that, that, that I, I'm jealous of, that they're, they're experts in. Continue to uh, hone their craft, Father. Continue to hone their craft. And, and even if it's grandparenting, maybe, may, may they be the best grandparents they could be. May they be the best retirees they could be. May, may they be the best um, people on disability because they're, because they're physically disabled. Father, may, be, may, may, may they be the best neighbor they could be. And Father, for those of us that, that are getting up and, and showing up to a particular job, whatever that craft is, Father, allow us to hone our skills. Because one day, we'll be in that conversation because of our skills. And God, may you just remind us in that moment why we're there. May the words come from you, Holy Spirit. And God, I so look forward to having these guys in heaven sharing story upon story of how they took the opportunity like Paul did here. They reasoned with people about the King of kings and Lord of lords, how he rose from the grave and died for our sins. Because of that, many, many more people are in the kingdom of heaven telling their stories. And to that end, Father, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll pick it up to the next week, okay? We'll see you guys next week.